I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Say, today, I want to tell you about uh, some interesting things that I think will help protect you. And the way we do this is to learn from what has happened to others. You know, I've been practicing gun law for over 30 years, and I've just done hundreds of cases, and some of them really have lessons to be learned, and uh, it's astounding as to what the system can attempt to do to people, especially in a state like New Jersey, where the laws are so bad and the anti-gun bias is so thick and heavy and they have this agenda to fit a narrative and we're up against it when these charges of firearm-involved matters get made and pursued. So I had this one case uh, that really is a great example of an absolutely law-abiding collector who was just unbelievably meticulous in his record keeping, in everything that he did, and he got a, uh, a CNR, a Curio and Relic federal license, and he had his books were just perfect, and he had documentation on everything, and he was following the law 100% to the letter, absolutely doing it correctly. And what happened was, and this is where, particularly if you live in New Jersey or other bad states, I would highly recommend not getting a CNR license. That's the Federal Curio and Relic License, sometimes called a collector's license. And, you know, that license, it does allow you to acquire certain CNR firearms that are older than 50 years or on the list of curio and relics and you can buy them you know even through the mail and have it shipped to you because you're now a federal licensee and it's a collector's license and folks like it for that reason but the problem is New Jersey can access and really anyone can access a list of FFLs right it's publicly put out there uh, as to who has licenses and when this case took place, the, the Jersey State Police took the list of FFLs, which included curio and relic licensees, not just retail dealers, you see. And they ran it against the Jersey retail dealer license, which is a separate state license. And when it came up with folks that had FFLs, but did not have a state license. They used that as the pretext to raid these individuals as being unlicensed dealers. Even though a curio and relic license is nothing to do with being a gun dealer, just the opposite, you're a gun collector. But they didn't care. And this particular client was subject and became a victim of this game. And when they came and raided his house, the feds and the state police, they worked 
together. It's like the old silver platter uh, situation where the feds give the information and then uh, they send in someone to talk about the federal license and give the information to the state, and the state then jumps on it and does a raid. And that's what they did to my client. They they raided and they seized from him all his wonderful collectible firearms. And they seized his books that he kept and they took his magazines and they ended up charging him with a series of New Jersey gun laws, including being an unlicensed New Jersey dealer, unlawful acquisition of handguns, uh, possession of an assault firearm, uh, possession of large-capacity magazines, um, etc. And they just slammed him with uh, a dozen felony-level offenses where he was looking at lots of time. But you see, there's only one problem, that was he was completely innocent of every charge. And I mean absolutely bona fide innocent. So I brought a motion up front to dismiss the indictment because I was able to show as a matter of law that he was completely legal, did not unlawfully acquire anything, and was legal for everything. And the judge was a good judge, and he read the papers, and he agreed. And he said, yep, he said, you know what? Your client, really matter of law here, did not break any of the laws, even though he was uh, been put through this horrible experience and arrested and all that and jailed and they had to get out of jail and all this happened. But yes, he agrees and he dismisses the case. And that's great. And hey, it's a lesson, you know, this is one of the problems you open yourself up in these bad anti-gun states like Jersey. And if you have a CNR, it can be abused and misinterpreted. And that would all be fine and dandy and a shame that he had to go through any of that except for one thing. And that is when you get something dismissed on motion, a lot of folks might be surprised to learn that there's no jeopardy, what they call double jeopardy. It doesn't exist. In other words, most of us know that you can't be tried twice for the same offense, right? Well, that's the key there, tried twice for the same offense. And you see, when you dismiss it on motion, there hasn't been a trial. So jeopardy hasn't attached. That's what they say, jeopardy hasn't attached. So if the state wants to, they can rebring the charges. If there's, quote, you know, new evidence, they're able to do it because it's not a dismissal that's with prejudice, it's a criminal matter, and it's a dismissal that did not have jeopardy because it's not, a jury never was seated on it. And that's just what they did. They rebrought the exact same charges. And I'm like, this is insane. And they claimed to have a little bit more evidence, this or that, but it was nothing. And they, they, they abused their discretion, frankly, in doing it. But they did it anyway. And now we're standing again on the exact same charges that this judge dismissed. So I think, what should I do? What do you do? And I'll tell you what I did, and it may be surprising to a lot of you. Because I know we treasure all our constitutional rights, and we treasure, of course, our right to a jury trial. 
But it's not always a good idea to have a jury trial. You got to think about it because you have a right to a jury trial, but you also have a right not to have a jury trial. And sometimes it's more important not to have a jury trial because think about this. I just had a judge agree with me on all the law and dismiss the case. The prosecutor now brings the same exact indictment. So I demanded that we have a trial without delay, have a trial, and that it be a bench trial, meaning a trial without a jury, and that my client was waiving his right to a jury. And you know when we waive the right to a jury, which is his right to do, the state objected. The state objected. Now, why do you think the state objected? The state objected because they wanted 12 dummies, 12 people not smart enough to avoid jury duty, that they could fool about guns, that they could confuse and fool about guns and the gun laws. And it wasn't happening on my watch. So we get a trial in front of this judge. And it's fine. It's bench trial. It's great. And we go to trial. And this is where it's absolutely insane because the state's expert is the largest ass I've ever... In I mean, this guy wins the prize. How he got qualified as an expert to this day... I have no clue, but this is who the state's using. And what this, this expert said was a number of things. Number one, he said it was an assault firearm and met the definition, and that these were large-capacity magazines and met the definition, and that he's an unlicensed dealer, and he was all about this. Well, let me tell you, I had the trooper on the stand, okay, the state trooper that made the arrest. Troopers on the stand. He said, you charged him originally when you found this AK-47 semi-auto, and you charged him with possession of an assault firearm, didn't you? He goes, yes, I did. And I said, that assault firearm was, uh, it's listed on the list as an assault firearm, isn't it? Yes, it is, sir. And I said, however, there's one exemption in Jersey that says if it's been rendered inoperable and he's filed a certificate of inoperability, which you were only allowed to do between May of 90 and 91, then that was an exemption that allowed for him to continue to possess it. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. And I said, at the time when you seized it, you didn't know whether that had happened, right? No, I didn't. But now with the forensic port back, you see that the gun was, in fact, rendered inoperable, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. And it also now you've seen that he has an actual certificate of inoperability properly filed, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. I said, Trooper, do you have any problem with him having this gun now? He goes, no, I absolutely do not. He's legal. And I said, Thank you. So, honest trooper, turn this so-called expert gets on the stand after the state's own witness just said it's absolutely good. And said, "Oh no, it's still illegal. That doesn't matter. That doesn't count. It doesn't." Based on what? Pulling it out of his butt? No, the law is the law. This guy was unbelievable. So we get into a discussion over whether his guns were were lawfully acquired and under a, a CNR license, he's allowed to make acquisitions out of state without a New Jersey pistol purchase permit. And it was legal for him to bring them back, absolutely. And it did not have to be registered because registration is not required in New Jersey. 
only on acquisition in New Jersey. So his handguns were legal, and a number of his guns were bona fide black powder firearms. Antiques, quote, under the Jersey law. And how is that determined? Well, the definition talks about guns that don't use fixed ammunition. So the judge at this point asks the experts, so-called, can you tell me, how do you define fixed ammunition? This expert on the stand takes out his duty gun on the stand, drops the magazine out, and extracts a round from the magazine on the stand. And he holds the bullet up, the cartridge, he holds it up, and he says, see this, judge? And I'm ready for him to say, this is fixed ammunition, right? Because that's what it is. This is not fixed ammunition. And I'm like, what? That's exactly what fixed ammunition is. He's like, well, how do you define fixed ammunition, the judge? Oh, that's when the bullet and the uh, casing go down the barrel as one unit. I'm like, what? So on cross-examination, I asked this expert, please tell me one example of such a bullet that is fixed ammunition. And he's like, I can't think of any. So he can't even think of a single example. If he was smart, he would have said gyrojet, which was an obscure cartridge from the early 1960s that actually, but that's not what fixed ammunition is, folks. He didn't even know that. And he couldn't even think of an example. So I said, look, here's Stendler's dictionary on gun terms. What does it say fixed ammunition is? He reads it. I said, oh my, exactly what you told the judge wasn't. What about uh, Shooter's Bible's dictionary right here on, on uh, gun terms? The lexicon. What is that? Oh my, same thing, saying what well, you just told the judge wasn't fixed ammunition, is fixed ammunition. So why did you lie to the judge? I didn't lie to the judge. The judge asked you how do you define fixed ammunition and you told him it's when the bullet in the cartridge go down the barrel as one unit. That's a lie. No, it isn't. How can that not be? You ready for this, folks? This is actually what he said. The judge asked, What's, how do I define fixed ammunition? I swear to God. What? That's like say it in your own words and you go, I just made up those words in my own words. This is their freaking moron expert witness? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it went on, by the way, with, you know, his guns that my client had were Curion relics. And one of them was a Wather PP and a Zella Malice. And in, and in, the, when they were in the grand jury in the, seeking the indictment, he said a juror actually asked this guy, hey, uh, what What is a curio and relic? What is that? And he goes, oh, that's just a gun you can't find anywhere. No, it's not. That's absolutely wrong. It's a gun that's either on the list or defined by federal law to be a curio and relic. And it's a list of guns that are there, the curio and relics. Well, by the time trial, someone wised them up. And I asked him, you told this grandeur that this exhibit here, which is a Wather PP, was not a curio and relic. When, in fact, what's this? And I show him the list. It's right there, doesn't it? Yeah, it says uh, pre-1946 Zellamalis. I go, right. And what does this say on the slide? Zellamalis. But uh, you can't tell whether it's pre-1946. I said, oh, no? I said, what's this proof mark right here, Mr. Expert? Oh, that's a Nazi proof. Think they were doing that after 46?
No. This guy took the cake. It's unbelievable. So, anyway, you get the message. Make sure you got a lawyer that knows what they're doing and understands guns when dealing with state's experts. Because they ain't experts, let me tell you. When we come back, we're going to talk about accuracy. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a If any of you know of, uh, you hope you do, Townsend Whalen. Townsend Whalen was one of the top riflemen, a great writer about rifle, very influential with the 3006 and Frankfurt Arsenal, worked with uh, Howe of Griffin and Howe fame, uh, developing uh, cartridges that use the 3006 uh, casing and, you know, some of you may even to this day shoot like a thirty-five Whalen or whatever, but uh, he's a great, fascinating outdoorsman, expert on firearms, and really a man's man. And one of the things that he said is only accurate rifles are interesting. That's a famous quote that he had, that he believed only accurate rifles. And what it really means is accuracy is critical and that's what we as shooters love right we want we want accuracy you want to be able to hit our target we want to make sure that we can put the rounds you know where they belong right and yet what i want to bring to your attention you know we, we talked last show about the absurdity of the anti-gunners talking about gun safety right they don't know anything it's not about gun safety it's a propaganda term as we explored but I want to take that one step further and point out to you, do you realize how many laws that the anti-gunners promote that are simply efforts to ban accuracy? They want to make our guns less accurate. They want to make our shooting less accurate. And what they propose are laws that go directly to accuracy 
I mean, step aside and think about the following proposals and laws and things we're going to be experiencing soon under the next administration if, uh, if in fact, uh, Biden gets inaugurated. And this, for example, the controversy on pistol braces. So what's a pistol brace? Well, it's been allowed by ATF. It goes on a handgun. It allows you to brace the handgun by using your forearm, and they also permit shouldering of the brace so that what happens with your handgun? It becomes more accurate. If you use it as a brace on your forearm, if you use it as you shoulder, that on your handgun, the brace on your handgun, means you can hold the firearm more steady and have more accuracy in your shooting. So why do they want to ban something that its ultimate effect is more accuracy? That's all it does. Think about it. Think about it. Why, why are SBR, short barrel rifles, on the National Firearms Act? It's ridiculous. Why are they put in the same category as machine guns? It makes no sense. Who cares? If it's a short barrel rifle or a pistol-braced pistol, that you can shoulder a firearm that has a shorter barrel, but you can shoot it with accuracy. But they want to stop that. They want to get a reversal on pistol braces. They want to put all of it into NFA. For what? Why? Where is the problem? Why do they want our firearms to be less accurate? To do what? Hit an innocent bystander? It's absurd. What is the drive? It's because they want to be able to scare. They want to scare people. And they scare people by making up all kinds of criminal purposes behind everything. But when you look at what they're actually suggesting, it's an attack on accuracy. Think about this. Why is a pistol grip on a rifle an offending feature that makes it an assault firearm. A pistol grip, folks. What does a pistol grip do? It aids in your accuracy. It lets you get a great, solid, strong grip on the rifle so that you can be more accurate because it has a pistol grip. This is why modern sporting rifles utilize a pistol grip. It improves accuracy. There's nothing intrinsically evil about a pistol grip. It's yet another attack on us being accurate. How about a telescoping stock? There's a ban. Telescoping stocks is an offending feature. What, in other words, what we would call an adjustable stock. Why is a telescoping stock a problem? Oh, we don't want you to be able to adjust your stock so it fits better. I mean, who cares if it fits better? That's great about telescoping. You can have different positions. What makes a muzzle brake a problem? A muzzle brake, lower, less recoil, more accurate shooting. Again, attack on accuracy. There's nothing wrong with muzzle brake. Even a flash suppressor. You don't need to be blinded when you're shooting, right? What is the point? It's, again, accuracy and ability to shoot well. It's foolish.
what's wrong with silencers? I mean, the silencer, first of all, is not like TV portrays it. That's part of our problem. The television version of the whisper, you know, no. Anyone that knows suppressors knows they make a noise. It's just not a giant freaking noise. It has to blow your ears out and make you flinch. So that if you have suppressor, people learning to shoot love suppressors because it cuts down the noise and recoil and you can even instruct better and they can not develop a, a flinching habit. And, you know, again, it, it goes to accuracy and better shooting and things used to even protect hearing. And yet the antis keep yakking about gun safety laws and they go and try to put in bans on things that make it safer, things that make us able to shoot better and more accurately. Isn't that safety when you are better at shooting? You, you know, it's almost like they want wild flying shots everywhere and not be able to hit your target at all with the laws that they want to pass. This is uh, ridiculous, just... If you, if you start to think about it in this perspective, anytime you hear them, I mean, why do they talk about banning you know, sniper rifles, you know, s telescopic mounts that are on rifles? Gee, what does this scope do? It helps us shoot more accurately. You know, the, I, the quote, sniper rifle, whatever the heck that is, which, of course, will have some broad sweeping ban as part of it. But in reality, it's another attack on accuracy. How about, you know, lasers on gun? Well, what's a late? It's a sighting device to make it more accurate. This is this relentless attack on anything that gives us accuracy. It's such an absurdity right up there with their ridiculous claims of gun safety. I mean, even, even the proposed 50 cal ban, what is... They're really talking about the ability to have long-range, accurate rifles. It's still about accuracy. It's just at long range. So what? It's a longer range. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's an attack on us as shooters. It's an attack on what is primary to what our interest is in shooting. Accuracy. As Townsend Whalen put it, the only thing he found interesting was accuracy in rifles. And that statement is what really should be on every shooter's mind about improving their shooting and to have great guns that are accurate. And as technology has evolved to give us greater accuracy, whether with braces or adjustable stocks or any of these things, that's the idea. We want to be better shooters, not handicapped by absurd and ridiculous gun laws. I mean, even, <clears throat> for example, the 50 cal at long range, I mean, people say, well, why do you need to shoot that far? Well, you know, a 22 is dangerous and has a, a maximum range, not an effective range, but a maximum range of, of uh, 2,000 yards, basically, a mile. But you're not going to be able to shoot a 22 accurately at a mile. That's a pretty steep, but it'll go that far. But if you can shoot accurately and you have a rifle that'll do it, then 
that's a good thing because the idea is to improve accuracy. You know, there's a funny thing. There's a, a classic uh, prank that was done with 22s because it, you, you can push them a lot further than, but not a mile. A mile shooting of 22 would be tough. But you can go pretty far, make a quarter mile if you uh, are someone who's got engineering skills and other things and you can plot that out and figure it out. And that's what led to a classic prank that was played at Harvard. If you want to read a great book, it's called The Complete Practical Joker by uh, Henry Allen Smith. And that book is great. It's full of pranks that are classic jokes and pranks that were done. And the book is, is hilarious. But there was a prank in there that took place at Harvard. I want to share this with you. At Harvard, there was a clock in one of the university towers. And it began to really act weird. It would strike 13 times at noon. And at midnight, it still rang 12 times, but at noon, it would always be this extra stroke would hit, right? And it was driving them crazy. So they started investigating. They got clockmakers in to examine it. They couldn't figure out why this thing was ringing 13 times. You know, they took it apart, examined, look all they, they couldn't get it done. They had no clue, and yet it, there it was every day at noon, 13 rings. Till they found out that what it was, was one of the students was in a house about a quarter mile away, and he was an engineering guy, and he calculated perfectly the trajectory of a 22 at that difference and knew that I think it was on the eighth ring, he would pull the trigger and by the time it hit at the distance, it would ring 13 times. So he knew which ring to pull the trigger. He had to mount all set with the you know trajectory perfectly so that that lead would go bong and make it go 13 times. And uh, classic Harvard prank with a 22. So, uh, there you go. Listen, keep a fellow gun owner from becoming a law-abiding criminal. Tell them to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio. Visit our website at gun.lawyer and please subscribe and rate the show. Please help me get the word out. I'm dependent on you. This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.